I realize that I must be a really bad judge of character because 25 years ago I met our speaker tonight and I remember saying at that point in my life, if God could ever get a hold of that young man's life, I wonder what God can do. And the rest is history. I watched Pastor Rob grow up here at America's Keswick. I watched how God has used him in ministry. He is now serving at Solid Rock Church. I think this is hilariously cool. In West Unity, Ohio. Now, you may not think that's cool, but I think that when we're, un we're thinking about being undivided, we got a dude here preaching from West Unity. Okay, some of you will get that by the end of the week. But this man loves the Lord, loves his family. Not only is he a pastor, but he also serves on the board of trustees here at America's Keswick. So I want you to join me in giving Pastor Robert Rodriguez a big, warm America's Keswick greeting as he comes to share God's word with us this week. What's up, everybody? Where's Cornerstone at? I see you. Philly's in the house. You guys were with me the first time I got to speak here, so thank you for going on the journey with me. Uh, where are my colony guys at? Come on. You know, uh, every single one of us needs to recover. You guys know that, right? The biblical, word, the biblical word for addiction is idolatry, and we all got idols. And I just think some of us need to realize we have them, you know? And uh, it's, it's my privilege, along with uh, Pastor Sam Sutter, this week to go through the book of Ephesians with you to help us understand what those idols are and how we got to get them out of our life. And there's just a theme that we're going to go through uh, in the entire letter. There'll be several things that we'll talk about. But one thing that I really want you to think about and kind of get a hold of is what it means to have hope. You guys, I don't know if, if you realize this, once you lose hope, there's nothing left, right? And when God gets us to that rock bottom of our life, when we realize that there's nothing else there except him, this is the bedrock principle of Christianity. Every single one of us needs to hit that rock bottom because that's where hope comes from. That's where real hope comes from because all that other stuff is fake hope. It's only when we realize that who we are in Christ Jesus that we finally have the hope that we need. And the hope that we always have been able, always have had access to finally comes to the surface. And so it's our prayer this week to walk through the book of Ephesians with you. So there's a, a booklet that I think a lot of you got, and it'll walk you through the entire week. Uh, Sam picked out a, the best picture I guess he could find of us on the back. Um, you, you'll have to ask Bill about my, my, uh, my history here because, I mean, I'm happy because like at least like when I first came here, it was, um, you know, I didn't know what this guy was ever going to do, right? And then like tonight he's like, man, if God could get ever a hold of this guy. So he's cleaned it up a little bit how he introduces me, right? But everything Pop says about me is true. Bill, I mean, he's not lying to you. It was like, I mean, half of the handbook was written because of me, Okay. <laughs> If, if you're here and you're on summer staff, realize I'm, I don't have anything for you, okay? Stay away from me, okay? I'll find ways to create more in the handbook, all right? So just, I, I pray for the summer staff. I'm just, I'm thankful that they're here. Uh, this is where God uh, spoke to my heart and changed my life. And I hope that he does the same thing for you uh, this week. 
So um, as we were getting ready for getting to the book of Ephesians, today we're going to go, we're going to start in, in verse 9 of chapter 1, and then Sam's going to pick it up in the morning and start at the beginning of the letter uh, to really just dig deep into some of the stuff that we're just going to start to introduce tonight. So uh, we got here a few, a few uh, days ago, and uh, we used to live in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, outside of Philly, and we were um, hanging out with some friends. We stayed at their house, and they, had, they just became members of something. I, I don't understand how I didn't realize this was in the Philadelphia area. Who here has been to Longwood Gardens? All right? It's like swanky, right? It's like upscale. I mean, it even sounds like something you only go to if you're invited to it, right? Like, you know, we're going to Longwood Gardens, right? So they, I'm thinking that it's going to be like this small botanical garden. We're going to spend a couple of minutes, you know, oh, wow, nice lilies. Let's go home, right? This sucker is huge. I mean, it's, it's just miles and miles of flowers and plants, and it's all on this private estate that was owned by Pierre S. DuPont. Like the DuPont family, uh, he was the head of DuPont uh, Chemicals and also General Motors. He was like a really, really rich dude where they allowed people back then to get richer than they even allowed them to get richer then. So he had this big field, and we're walking through all of these things. I'm not really excited about it. I'm wearing the wrong kicks. I mean, nothing is going well, but we sit down and we get to like in this room and they show a video of how this guy got this property. And it, at first it was, it was for, for many, many years, it was cultivated by the, the, the native tribe that, that was there, the Lenapes, right? And then there was a guy who uh, bought it from the William Penn Trust and his name was Pierce and it was called Pierce's Garden and he had these trees. And these trees weren't being taken care of and some of these trees, they were thinking about tearing them down to buildings with it. And Pierre uh, DuPont, for some reason, had a fascination with horticulture and things like that. So he buys this property in order just to save, like at this point, it's like 24 trees, right? He buys all of this acreage and land. And because he's an engineer, he starts thinking about ways not only to build plants, but how to build, like literally on his own, he engineered and designed like these fountains. And if you've ever been to Longwood Gardens, they have all these fountains that shoot up kind of like the Bellagio in, in Las Vegas, right? And all these shows like five times a day and all these different things. And so I'm listening to all this stuff. I was like, man, this is really neat. And he said, and it says in the video that he really, this is like his, get this, this is like his weekend spot spot, right? Okay, so this is like his weekend getaway house, and it was for him and his friends and his family. So when you got, when you got bank like that, you get a lot of people who think that they're your friends, they're really not your friends, right? But you invite them for whatever reason, for smoozing, networking, whatever it is, he invites these people out there. And so they're talking about how, how, how they had these like crazy garden parties. If you've ever seen the episode of The Office Garden Party, where these people really dance like this and they announce everybody's name, that stuff actually happened. They had garden parties like that. Listen to me, they had garden parties where people would just dance like this for you. It was insane, right? In the middle of talking about all that, one line stuck out to me. The, the narrator said this, he would invite his friends and family and they would spend hours planting next to Pierre S. DuPont and then spend the weekend. I was like, yo, hold up. He got people to come to his house and plant and garden and spend hours working at his home for free, right? 
And, and, and they said, the thing was, you never hear about anybody that visited Longwood Gardens ever mentioning the fact that they had to spend hours planting. All they said was this, yo, that garden party was dope. The, the accommodations were incredible. I got to hang out with Pierre S. DuPont. What did you do this weekend, right? That's, they never mentioned the work. And the reason why was this, the spectacular nature of Longwood Gardens, everything that they experienced, the fountains, the plants, the, just the camaraderie, being around Pierre S. DuPont made them realize the bigger picture. It wasn't about planting seeds, it was about being with DuPont. And I'm here to tell you, you and I need to understand there's a bigger picture than what you're going through. There's a bigger picture than picking a, a verse and cherry picking it to make it think what you want it to say or whatever you need for the day. And No, there's a bigger picture that God needs us to see and that picture is wrapped in hope. And that is the point of the book of Ephesians. It's about hope. And so I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter one. And I want you to stand because God's word is that awesome. And we're gonna read through Ephesians chapter one but we're gonna to focus tonight on verses nine to the end of the chapter. But I wanna set the context. The Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement to the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In him, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed, the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority 
power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is in his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks for standing. You could be seated. Father, I am so in awe of you and what your word not only means to us, but what it, what it says to us. And so God, I pray by your spirit, you would speak to us that nobody would leave the same way that they came in, that we would recognize what it means, not only to see the, the big picture, but for us, to, for us to understand what the purpose is for our life and what it means for us really and truly to, to grow in you. God, I pray that for those that need to be restored, that that would be today. For those that need a relationship with God, that it would also happen tonight. And for those, that are, that are, that, uh, those of us that are straying, that we would come back to you. God, meet us where we're at, Lord, and we're just waiting for you to work. And so, God, I ask that you help us to humble ourselves to be under your mighty hand. Thank you for my friends that are here tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So... The letter that Paul writes to the Ephesians, it's, it, it's written to people who live in a city called Ephesus, and it was a very uh, cosmopolitan type of city. Um, it was part of the, it was a very important city in the Roman government. Um, there was pagan worship there, a lot of different religions. This is one of those letters that we know that Paul wrote to a church that he spent a, a lot of time with, the church at Ephesus. He spent over two years with this church. But when you read this letter, this letter was written more to just the the church, it was also written to every Christian that lived in this city. And we also know because of God preserving his word for us, this is also for us, right? So this letter is primarily written to Christians. And the point of this letter is for us to understand not only who we are in Christ Jesus and understand and getting our identity right, that we're in Christ Jesus, but also for us to understand what, what that means in the big picture. And if we get what the big picture means, what does that mean for us on an everyday basis? Because it's good to have vision. It's good to have the big picture. But if the big picture doesn't you know, mess up your everyday life to put it back in order, the big picture doesn't mean much. Your life has to be wrecked. Your life has to be wrecked and God has to put it together for anything to happen. If you're putting your life together, you're doing it wrong. If you think that you have all the answers and that, you know, you know what the Bible says and that you, you can do, you can do you and still recover the God's way, it ain't going to happen. The word of God has to wreck you. And, and some of the things that are in this letter, even in the first chapter, will wind up wrecking you. And so what we're going to talk about specifically tonight is not just what the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ, the spiritual blessings that we have in the Spirit. There's a prayer that Paul prays at the end of this chapter that really sums up what our desires and what our goal should be in life because of something. And so as we look at these, at these points, I want you to have this, this overarching theme. Because God loves us so much, we have. Because God loves us so much, we have the spiritual blessings in Jesus. Because God loves us so much, we have the spiritual blessings in the Holy Spirit. Because some of the things that Paul says 
in this book is for us sometimes really, really hard to grasp or understand. And the thing is, if we don't think about the big picture that God loves us and that God is sovereign, we hear some things and then we get all bent out of shape because of some one thing that we just can't grasp right now that we miss what God is doing. This is not an easy letter. But this, I'm telling you, is a foundational document for your faith. So I want us to start in verse 9. It says, God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ. And verse 10 says, as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. So what are these spiritual blessings that we have because, remember, because God loves us so much, we have these spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. And in the middle, the middle of this, after talking about uh, the redemption of his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, which are huge, and Sam's going to build that out tomorrow, according to the riches of his grace, he says, he's made known to us something, the mystery of his will. So, there was a day in your life, and if you're like me, you can remember this, that all of a sudden, lights went on, right? You may have heard the Bible preached before. You may have had uh, godly relatives that shared with you Jesus. Maybe no one's ever shared with you anything about Jesus at all, but something one day happened that everything that you didn't hear, all of a sudden you heard, right? And all of a sudden, every time something spiritual came up, it just hit a little differently, right? It wasn't just like some, some God talk, it was like God is talking to me. And that difference between darkness and light is the way the Bible describes it, is what led us to do what? To recognize a few things, right? And the few things that we recognized when we looked at God and we, and we now started to see who God was and we started to experience and people explained to us in the word of God who Jesus was, it hit differently, right? And then all of a sudden, it wasn't just this religious thing. We realized that we needed this Jesus because we had done something. We, had, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were not seeking after God. We were going down a path to destruction, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, things just, just lined up differently, and whatever we heard that was spiritually and biblically speaking started to do what? Make sense. And you remember what happened. You called upon the name of the Lord and he saved you. And all of a sudden now you went from darkness to light, but then now you experienced the big thing, going from spiritual death to spiritual life. You, you started to read the Bible and understood that, that now your eternal destiny and destination has changed. That you are now a new creature in Christ. That all the things that you did, all the old things, were passed away and now everything is new. That God forgave you of your sins, forgave you of your sins in the past, the present, and the future, right? All these things that are, for lack of a better term, Christianity 101, right? Were more than just something that you read in a theological textbook, it became real to you. That is what Paul is describing when he says that God made known to us the mystery of his will. 
I want to I want to put it this way just to open it up. It was not by accident that you received Jesus. Just as it by the sovereignty of God has allowed you to go through some real stuff in your life, good and bad, it was under his sovereignty, his sovereign care to illuminate and and the Bible puts it this way, quicken or make alive your spirit so that now when you heard spiritual things, it hit differently. You didn't do that. Salvation is his story, not ours. You were not saved on accident, you were saved on purpose. That God moved through history, through all the junk, in order to find you. And when he did that, the mystery, this thing that, that's described as a mystery because we, we don't get it, it finally was illuminated to us and we began to, things clicked. That I'm a sinner, that God is holy, that I'm on my way to hell, that I can have forgiveness of sins. And then we received Christ. None of that was by accident. Do you realize the Bible literally says it was his will to save you? The same will that makes the sun come up. The same will that gives you oxygen. It was in his plan to save you. And he says, why? Verse 9, and sometimes it's hard for me to grasp this. According to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ, that he did it not only for his will, but that the gospel was for his pleasure and our good. That it pleased, it pleased him to save you from all of that junk that you were doing in your life. It pleased him to send his son to a cross to pay the penalty for all the crap you did in your life. All the things that keep you up at night wondering how in the world could God love me? God not only loves you, it was his plan and his pleasure to save you. Hallelujah. It was purposed. It was planned in Christ. And he says in verse 10, as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things in earth in him. So, so what was God's purpose? What is God's big purpose? God's big purpose was to bring forth Jesus Christ to pay the price for our sins and to offer us forgiveness of sins and eternal life. That was God's plan. Think about this, the the almighty, unchangeable God, the one that created everything, the one that holds it all together, his plan was to save you. That's his plan. Later he'll call you his workmanship. We are a new creature, a new creation in him. It was what he wanted to do. To bring it all together, this was in his plan. 
both things in heaven and things on earth in him. So the things that are going on in the spiritual realm and the things that are going on in the physical realm, he has brought it all together in this gospel plan. Think about this. It doesn't make sense why God would save us, but to him it makes perfect sense. I don't know what that is. All I know is that it was for his pleasure and his glory, and we're the ones that benefit from it. So verse 11 picks up, and he says, in him. So he, this phrase is, have you noticed, like, he uses for it in him, right? In Christ, what do we have? We have also received, okay, so not only do we have forgiveness of sins, not only do we have eternal life, not only was this God's perfect plan, God, it, was, it pleased him for Jesus to die in order for us to have salvation, Right? It now says that we also have access to something, that we also receive an inheritance. That you and I also have a relationship with the Father that causes us to be gifted something. The Bible says that we are enriched because of our relationship with Jesus. The Bible says in verse 11, as we look at what exactly it says, we have received an inheritance because we were what? Predestined according to the plan of one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. So let's, let's, let's park on that. The Bible says that we are enriched because we have been what? According to God's plan, you and I have been chosen and predestined. Which means that he knew all along that he was going to do this. That God chose you before time began. That God literally knew that he was going to save you before you were even born. And God not only allowed you to be miraculously born, he allowed you to go through some stuff in your life. He allowed you to experience things. He gave you a free will that you, that you basically tore, our, tore your life apart. But because of his great love, because of the plan, he chose to do what? He chose to make your spirit alive when it's dead in order for you to hear what he had to tell you in order to save you. And he knew that was going to happen. And the thing is, if we think about it as an intellectual exercise, you're saying, whoa, God chose some, God didn't choose others, and all that, how can this be right, and all that, instead of just realizing, God didn't have to choose you, but he did. That's where we park it. God did not have to save you, but he chose to do it. That should take up most time of your day. God chose me for a purpose and therefore I live for him because he chose me. He saved me. He's the one that holds me together. He's the one that keeps me in his hand, the hand of the Father, the hand of the Son, the sealing of the Spirit. All that happens to not only save you but to keep you saved. Man. And the result, verse 12, let's read what verse 12 says. The result of all this is so that we who already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. Okay. Why? Why did he do what he did in order to do what? 
for his glory and our good, right? So now, what does that now mean for our life? How does that now work out into what we do? We're, we work it out by us bringing glory to him with our life. So this, this, pre, this predestined life that we have, this election that God has, has given us, this, this salvation, this forgiveness of sins, is not fire insurance. It's not just to keep us out of hell. It's not for us to trample on it every day long and continue to, for us to do us. The purpose of our life, God's purpose was to save us and his purpose for us is to do what? Bring glory to him. So why, why do we live godly lives? Why do we remain or try to be holy? Why do we tell other people about Jesus? It's not get, for us to get closer to God because we can't get closer to God. We have all of him through Christ Jesus. So what's the purpose of our life? Instead of, instead of us living for ourselves, the Bible says that we live to bring him glory. So, so, so that means what we do with our life matters. If we squander it, we are now living outside of the will of God. Because it was his will, his pleasure to save you. And then so now his purpose for us is to bring glory back to him. Why? So that others will then come to him. Verse 13, in him. Okay, so here's another thing. He's done something. He's not only forgiven us, he's not only saved us, he's not only this part of this sealing. In verse 13, in him, you were also, uh, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth. Now let's bring it back again. Remember, because God loves us so much, we have what? Spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus, right? Okay, so now because God loves us so much, we also have spiritual blessings in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. So that's what verse 13 starts talking about. So in him, in this relationship, this identity that we have in, in Jesus Christ, we were also, the Bible says, sealed, okay? Sealed with the promise Holy Spirit, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believe. So as God has been orchestrating all of this, as God has been moving throughout history and throughout time and space to bring you to the place that not only would he make your soul alive to hear what the word of God has to say, but then to also save you and call, call you to himself and for you to receive Christ. All this was his plan. He says not only did he plan and orchestrate all of this, he also seals the deal with the Holy Spirit that you have now been basically spiritually saran wrapped. That like you, you literally have the Holy Spirit that not only is this, he talks about it being a down payment, but it also is this protective seal that keeps your soul, this new creature, not only saves you, but continues to keep you saved. Here's a question. What kind of sin would it take to take you out of the hands of the Savior, out of the hands out of the Father, and out of the seal of the Holy Spirit? You see, for us sometimes, to me, it's a cop-out to think you, you, you don't have eternal security because then we just get saved over and over again like it wasn't our fault, right? Oh, I just got saved again. I got baptized. I can get that, that photo. You know, no. Some of us have to realize that we've been saved to the day of redemption. We're just wicked, rotten sinners that need to return home to the Father. You don't need the party. You don't need the celebration. You need to repent and come back to the Father who saved you and keeps you saved. 
Because a lot of us are not, are not living our life the way that we're supposed to live. And we say, well, maybe it's not because we didn't know Jesus. No, you know Jesus. He's convicting you to come back to him because he sealed you to the day of redemption. That, that conviction, that, that, that groaning when you're not living for God is a, is, a, is a very proper evidence that you know Jesus and he's calling you back to himself. He's calling you back. And so you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now remember, Jesus promised that the Spirit would come. He told his disciples and the apostles that the Spirit would come, right? A comforter would come. And so he's promised. This was planned. And what happens is that when we heard, the, remember, he now makes our soul alive so that whenever we hear the word of God, now that our soul has been made alive, it hits us differently. We hear the word of the truth, the gospel, what Jesus Christ did for us. We hear this word of salvation. And then what happened? We believed, right? And so when we believed, not only did we hear it, we believed it, we now are sealed to, for him to keep that relationship solid. It's not up to you to keep your salvation solid. Jesus already paid the price. So what is this Holy Spirit? Verse 14 calls them a down payment for our inheritance. Remember, we have this inheritance. We, have, we, we, we now have this eternal life, all the spiritual blessings that we have in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Everything that we have, everything that we're going to get in heaven, access to the Father we have now, all that stuff. He said the Holy Spirit is what allows that to happen because once we receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells us and that's what keeps us in communication with the Father. And I don't know about you, there's been times in my life where I don't know what to pray and, I, and I'm completely just like blind and I just start groaning. The Spirit at that moment tells the Father what I need. Yeah, yeah, Rob asked for a new car. No, Rob needs patience. You know what I mean? Like that, that, that's, that's what he does. He keeps that relationship going until what? The redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is there not only to seal us and to keep us saved, it is the down payment because one day Jesus is coming back. And how do we have this hope? Because of the Spirit of God. So the blessings of the, of the, of the Son the blessings of the Son gives us the redemption. It gives us this, this, this understanding that we now know the mystery of his will. The blessing of the Spirit allows us then to understand that we, that we are not only saved, but that we continue to be sealed and that the Holy Spirit is what connects us to the Father till Jesus comes back. Okay? So now, to close out the chapter, Paul talks about a prayer that he has because of everything that we just heard, okay? So because, remember, because of what God has done for us, right? This is what he says in verse 15. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stopped giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. So this terminology Paul uses in several letters that he writes. He writes it to the Romans, he writes to the church of Ephesus. He mentions it in the letter to the, the church of, in, in Philippi, Philippians. It's this idea that Paul praises God for these Christians in these towns in the first century. And he says the reason why he prays for them, the reason why the Spirit tells him to pray is because he hears about something that they're doing. And the way that he describes it in this letter is that when he hears about their faith in the Lord, okay, that, and their love for all the saints, what he's saying is, 
He knows that God has saved them and he knows that they continue to remain in him because of what they do. The evidence that you have been sealed, the evidence that you have Jesus is a transformed life. There needs to be fruit to show that you are in Christ. And some of us have been faking it for years. And some of us are great church members, but we still don't know Jesus. And Jesus has been tugging at our heart for years. You really don't know me. And thank God he's tugging at your heart. That means he's trying, he's calling you, you haven't answered yet. And some of us, he's calling you back to himself because you continue to live a life outside of the bounds of the word of God. And this conviction comes over and he says, this is how we know that you are serving. This is how we know that you're living up to the praise of his glory is that, that people know about your faith. So he's not even there and he knows that they're faithful. He's not even there and, and he knows about their Christian walk because it, it, it just went everywhere and everyone told him about it. Paul's in prison and hears about this faith of this local church. And then he says, it's not just I heard about your faith, I also heard about the way you love one another. And the two big, biggest evidences for us to, to know that we're in Christ, to know that we're in the center of God's will, is our faithfulness to Jesus and our love for one another as believers. So if you have trouble living your life inside the bounds of the word of God and you hate everybody you go to church with, whoo, something's up. It's not your personality. It's not that you need to find yourself. You need to find Jesus. It's not everybody else in the room. It's you. If you don't love believers and you can't live in the boundaries of the word of God, there's something between you and your Savior. Because he says the reason, the, what motivates him to pray is the way that, they, that they're living their life. And the way that he prays, he has a praise of thanksgiving. Look at verse 16. I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. Why? Because of their faith in the Lord and their love for the saints. So here's his prayer. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Notice what Paul isn't praying for. And think of the context, a first century church who has had persecution from, from uh, people inside of the church who had false teaching and wanted people to go back to the way they used to live religiously and just add Jesus to that. Persecution from the outside, Roman government, people who just didn't like that, that these Christians were getting a name for themselves and just Satan was attacked, all these different things, right? This is what he prays. He doesn't even pray really for protection. He doesn't pray that all the suffering would stop. He prays that they would find the wisdom that comes from knowing the Spirit of God. And that knowing the Spirit of God. So remember, the Holy Spirit has already indwelt us, right? So now he's praying that in, with that, the Spirit of God, God the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity who indwells us, that we would communicate with the Spirit like the Spirit communicates with the Father in order for us to have wisdom, in order to have the revelation of knowing him. 
Because the only way for us to truly have our identity settled in Jesus and to understand why God did what he did for us is for us to know more about Jesus. If you're not in the word, the word can't change you. If the only scripture you get is on Sunday morning, whether you go to church or log on, you're doing it wrong. If you're not getting that daily bread, that daily walk, you don't know Jesus like you should. And the only way for you to understand, to fully grasp what God's purpose was in restoring us to himself through Jesus Christ and sealed with the Spirit is having a more intimate relationship with God. And the only way we have an intimate relationship with God is through reading the Word and speaking to God through prayer. Because remember, those of us who went to Sunday school when we were little kids know, how does it work? We talk to God through prayer. He talks to us, not through visions, not through signs, but through the Word. We don't feel our relationship with God. We know our our Savior. Because your feelings will deceive you. Amen? Amen? You need to live your life based on the principles and what the Word of God says. And let the Spirit ignite the Word when you get into it because you have the Spirit of God. Here's what he says. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart... Think about the, 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 the metaphor there, the, the eyes of your heart, the, this, this idea that the center of who you are emotionally, right, has eyes to recognize what you should really care about, okay? He says, he prays that the eyes of our heart may be what? Enlightened so that you may know what the hope, what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, And we'll get to verse 19 in a second. So he says this. He prays that the seat of who they really are will see to the point of what? He's really praying for enlightenment. He prays that the lights would turn on, right? That they would be able to see deeper. That it wouldn't just be like this little candlelight, but like this big floodlight would come on into our life to understand what does it mean? What is this hope of his calling? What does it mean to truly be in Jesus Christ? Because if we know what it really means, to deeply really know what it means to have Jesus as our all-sufficient Savior, that there is this wealth that we have, there's this glorious inheritance that's right there, but we don't even see it because we're blinded by all of the junk in our life that's causing us not to bring glory to him. So the biggest prayer for us this week is to be enlightened by the Spirit of God by yielding, by realizing that we need to know more about Jesus. And verse 19 says, when this happens, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength? So think about, imagine your life like this, that not only do you have a vibrant walk with your Savior, 
every day like first Peter, like, like, like Peter talks about growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ daily, right? That's happening in your life. And all of a sudden, you, the, the floodlights come on that you begin to understand what God's purpose for you is in life. Like, what is God doing in your life since he saved you? And then looking at the bigger picture to see things like, man, my mom and dad went through this. And if they didn't go through this, we wouldn't have moved here. And if we didn't move here, we never would have went to that church that was a storefront. We never would have heard the gospel if all of that didn't happen. God loves us that much. I went through some serious junk in my life, things that I did, things other people did to me, but if that never happened, I would never be where I'm supposed to be right now. And that enlightenment then causes you not only to recognize how much you have in Christ Jesus, it also lets you recognize how much power you have because Jesus is your Savior. That how much power it is in this relationship with God that you not only can pray for yourself, that you can pray for other people, that you can proclaim his word with authority because you know what God has done for you. Imagine a life like that. Imagine a life like that where all of a sudden you're being transformed and others' lives are being transformed because of what God has done in your life. And all of the things that he does in your life, this power, you can't even measure it. That you look back and you see, man, not only did God do this, this, and this, who knows what else God has done exponentially because we finally decided to do what? Simply surrender to Jesus. Verse 20, he exercised this power in Christ, okay, by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavens. So the power that made your soul alive when it was dead is the same power that called you to salvation. It's the same power that continues to keep you saved. And it's the same power that causes the floodlights to go on in your life to understand what God's will in your life. And it's also the power that's unmeasurable. The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the power that we have access to to be surrendered to Jesus. So we're not talking about just some little Duracell battery. We're talking about the very power that raised Jesus Christ is the power we have in the Spirit of God. God didn't give us some, some, some cheap bootleg salvation, right? Our salvation ain't ghetto, right? Our salvation ain't fake. Our salvation is genuine. Our salvation is powerful. Our testimonies are powerful. What God has done in your life is powerful. It's miraculous. Don't ever lose sight of the fact that you being saved was a powerful miracle. Powerful. This power raised Christ to sit at the right hand of the Father. The Bible says that the power that we have, the power that Jesus has, is far above every ruler, every authority, every power, every dominion, every title given, not only in this age, but the one to come. The power that Jesus has, the power that has been given to us, is bigger, it's not only powerful, it's bigger than any other power out there. So don't tell me that there's a power of sin that causes you to continue to stumble. Don't tell me that there's a power that causes you to stay in habitual sin. Don't tell me that, that there's a power of circumstances it is what causes you not to be surrendered. The power you have in Jesus is bigger than any power you think is over you right now. The power of addiction has nothing to the power of Jesus. 
The power of apathy is nothing to the power of Jesus. Do you have access to this power? Do you recognize you have it because of the Holy Spirit? Verse 22, and he subjected everything under his feet. Because of this power, he has authority. And appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. So now, before you get too big of a head, okay? Like, the power that you have comes from Jesus. Keep that the focus, okay? Because some of us, we like to think that power is ours. We want to start like, I want to heal you. You heal nobody. Jesus does, okay? Anybody that goes on saying they heal people, that's baloney. The only, people that, the only person I know that heals anybody is, is Jesus, okay? And so when you go on, I got this power. This power doesn't make you better than anybody else. Being chosen doesn't make you better than anybody else. Being God moving through history to save you should keep you on your knees. You should be on your face before Jesus because of his power. And just in case you don't understand, his power is his. He's over everything. You ain't over nothing. Jesus is the most powerful. And the only way that we really have access to understand who Jesus really is, is to understand who we really are not. When we look to him, everything else is where it's supposed to be. We have to get that right. And the problem is, especially in 2022, man, our identity is in everything else but Jesus. Some of us are confused about what our identity is. And the, and, the, and the thing is, a lot of us believers who've been saved for a long time, people are confused about who they are and what they feel and who they like. And we ridicule them instead of realizing we have the power to tell them who they can have their identity in. And we're not reaching people. We're scared of them. We don't understand. Not realizing that we have the power to tell them it doesn't matter what they think or what they feel. They can have the, their identity and who it's supposed to be in him. The only way that you and I grow and the only way that we can tell other people about Jesus is to realize their identity has to be square and solely in him. Because he's the one that saved us. He's the one that keeps us saved. He's the one that gives us the power. He's the one that gives us forgiveness. Everything that was done was done for his glory and our good. And that, my friends, is Ephesians chapter 1. Let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. I want to I just um, take a time and just, I, I, want, I want you to think about a few things. I want you to talk to God about what he's talked to you about, especially as we come into this week together. What does it mean? What does it mean? for you to have your hope and identity squarely and solely in Jesus. That you're not counting on your identity being in religion, your identity being in the local church you go to, your identity being in your job or your career, your identity being in, in anything besides Jesus. Maybe you're here and you're like, Rob, I, I don't even know if I actually know Jesus 
truly as my Lord and Savior. You're talking about a life of faith and you're talking about loving other saints. I don't even know if Jesus loves me. I don't even know if I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And man, you're talking about this power and you're talking about all these different things that God chose me. Man, something hit me tonight that I'm not even sure whether I truly recognize what God has done in my life. I don't know if I know Jesus and I'm struggling with it, Rob. Something's tugging at my heart. Rob, please pray for me. Would you raise your hand and just say, Rob, please pray for me. I don't know. I'm not, thank you. Thank you. I don't know. I want you to do this. If you raised your hand, I want you to see me. I want you to see Pastor Sam. I want you to see Bill. I want you to, if you're at the colony, I want you to talk to your counselor. I want you to tell somebody about this decision that you made. If you're here and you say, Rob, I know Jesus, but man, I have not really truly surrendered to the point that I understand that everything of my life should be my identity in him. I, I, I'm really just convicted of that, that I was saved for his glory and my good, and I'm, I don't live that way. And Rob, I'm convicted. Can you please pray for me? I'm talking to God right now. Would you raise your hand? I'd love to pray for you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Father, thank you for this time that we have. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for, for choosing us and saving us and sealing us. God, Lord, I pray that you would just give us a phenomenal week just learning about you. God, I pray that, that for the, the rest of the time that we have together tonight that you would be honored and glorified. I pray you be with Pastor Sam as he gets ready for tomorrow to open up the book. Lord, I, I just thank you. Lord, I pray you help us really to, to come together knowing who you are through the book of Ephesians. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. God bless you. Mm -hmm.